Hi, good morning. I am Shauna Boren, and I am one of the associate pastors here at Woodland Hills Church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's better than getting up and walking out and leaving, trust me. So thank you very much. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this gorgeous, gorgeous day. It's cold. But it's a day that you've made, and we're thankful for that. And Father, right now, as the song said, just speak to us, Lord. Speak, Jesus, speak. Penetrate our hearts, open our ears, touch our souls, Father. We thank you and we love you. Amen. All right, so we've been going through this series, The Great Reversal, and we're going to continue on with that. And we're now up to Luke chapter 15. So let's take a look at that and see what we have here. In Luke 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners are gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Here we go again. Jesus is doing his thing. He's ministering. He's talking to people. And uh, he draws a crowd, and the crowd is various. There's all kinds of different types that come to hear what he has to say. And, of course, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have nothing good to say about that, and they begin to mutter, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And it's just another example of how throughout this series we have seen how Jesus has taken what was expected of him and done the exact opposite. He has taken what he was supposed to say, what he was supposed to do, and done the exact opposite. It's the great reversal. He has taken what um, they expected of a Messiah. He took what they expected of a Savior and totally blew that to bits. Last week, we saw how he literally threw water on the dreams of this crowd of people who were following him and said, actually, for me to be your Savior, for me to be your Messiah, it's going to require that you take up your cross daily and follow me. It's going to require that you live a crucified life. And that's not at all what they wanted to hear. That was a really sobering thought for them. And so he threw water on their dreams. He totally blew their expectations to bits. And instead, he gave them an eye-opening account of what it would mean to put Christ first, to put him above all else. And so now we have Jesus in another gathering-type situation, and he's um, surrounded by various people. And among the Pharisees and among the teachers of the law, there are two groups of people that are pointed out, tax collectors and sinners. They were all gathered around to hear Jesus, and this is what he had to say next. He told a parable. He told a story. He said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Tax collectors and sinners, and this is what Jesus has to say, Tax collectors were notoriously dishonest. They had aligned themselves with the enemy of Israel. They had aligned themselves to Rome, and they could not be trusted. And then you have sinners. Good Lord, sinners. Jesus was talking to sinners. And that's a pretty broad term, but basically these were people who were excluded for a variety of reasons. They were unfit to fellowship with the righteous in the community, and they were the outcasts of society. 
And research tells us that some, most, were probably poor, unfortunately. And because they were poor, that made them further outcast. And some of them were so poor, in fact, that they did not have the benefit of even being able to hear the law and know the law to know to follow it. So Jesus um, took these two unacceptable social groups and spoke to them. And the teachers and the Pharisees didn't like it one bit. They started muttering to one another, this man not only welcomes sinners, but he eats with them too. How dare he? Jesus, of course, knew this grumbling was going on, and so he had a response to this. And his response was to tell them a story, to tell them a parable about a shepherd who lost one of his hundred sheep. But not only did he tell this story, not only did he paint a picture, but he put them in the story. And he says to them, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and you lost one. Now it's subtle, but him saying to these teachers of the law, him saying to these Pharisees, suppose one of you was really offensive. Because for them, these pillars of society, these upstanding men in the community, to even consider, to even suggest that they would be a shepherd was completely beneath them. That was too lowly for them. They would never have even related to that. But the point is, is that Jesus was trying to make a point to them. He didn't tell them a story that they didn't understand. He was trying to get a point across to them. He wasn't missing his audience here. In fact, he was trying to teach a lesson. These men of status, these pillars of the community, these insiders of religious religious society were supposed to be caring for these sinners. They were supposed to be caring for the outcast. They were supposed to be caring for those who had no means. They should have been an expression of God's love for his people. And this has been a problem that has been long-standing at this time. The leaders of Israel were continually using their power to lord over people instead of support them and love them and encourage them the way God would. And the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament had a little something to say about that, and we're going to look at that right now. In verse 34, it says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak. You've not healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Through this parable of the lost sheep, it's, it's a simple parable, but it's powerful. And through this parable, Jesus is addressing two issues. First, the issues of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law grumbling and complaining again about his associations. They didn't like it that he, the Messiah, the one who would rule and reign, the king, the savior, doesn't understand, doesn't get that he's, he's associating with the wrong people. So he's dealing with this. And the fact is, he's, Jesus is trying to point out to them, they are supposed to be shepherds caring for the flock. They are supposed to be strengthening the weak, healing the sick, binding up the injured, bringing back the strays and searching for the lost. But instead, they treated people harshly and deemed them unfit and unacceptable. And so Jesus came, and he came to strengthen the weak. He came to heal the sick. He came to bind up the injured, bring back the strays, and search for the lost. This is the type of savior savior that Jesus would be. It's not what they expected, but this is what he had to offer them. 
He was the great shepherd. Second is the issue of the sinners, the tax collectors, the outcasts, the forgotten, the, the drungs of society. He wanted to address them specifically. And if you could, I don't know if it's possible, but if you could, just picture yourself as that lost sheep. Picture yourself as somehow getting separated and being wandered off alone, scared, in the dark maybe, cold, hungry. You're away from safety, you're away from your comfort, you're away from what you know. Place yourself somehow as that sheep who becomes lost. And maybe you become lost because of your own choices. Maybe you've chosen to walk off. Maybe you've chosen to go and do your own thing. Or maybe it's because of your circumstances. Maybe the lot you've been dealt in life has caused you to be separated from safety and has caused you to feel alone and afraid like you've got no one. Uh, Sheep herders and professional shepherds, I guess you can call them, um, say that when a sheep gets separated from from the flock, many times they will just lie down and just lay in a heap and refuse to budge because they're hopeless and they're helpless and they don't know how to save themselves. So picture yourself just lying there, helpless and hopeless. Picture yourself not knowing if you're ever going to be rescued. Picture yourself open to attack from predators and anything that might come your way. And then picture the shepherd coming. You hear the footsteps. Maybe you see him from a distance, but he's coming. And he has searched exhaustively, and he is determined to find you. And when he does find you, he picks you up, and he lifts you on his shoulders, and he carries you back to safety. And the journey could be long, and it may be tough, and the path may not be easy, but he doesn't give up, and he doesn't relent. He searched for you exhaustively. He was determined to find you. And when he found you, he picks you up, put you on his shoulders, and he carries you home. And he returns you to the flock. And he proclaims to the community, rejoice with me, because the one that was lost is now found. Restoration has recurred, and now the celebration can begin. Jesus was saying, look, instead of your grumbling, instead of your moaning and complaining, instead of judging and being cruel about who I'm trying to talk to here, who's coming to listen to me, let's rejoice. Yes, they're sinners. Yes, they're outcasts. Yes, they haven't done things right necessarily. Yes, because they're so poor, they didn't even know how to follow the law. But I'm bringing them back into the fold. I'm restoring them. I'm healing them. I'm bringing that restoration that they so desperately need. Rejoice with me. Don't grumble. Don't bicker. Rejoice. Through all of this, Jesus was was revealing the true heart of God. He was revealing the true heart of God for the lost. He was revealing the true heart of God for the lonely, for the scared, for the messed up, and for the outcast. All along in this series, and if you have the prayer journal, you'll see this too. After we go through a passage and study it, we ask, what stands out to you? What from this passage really catches your eye? What stands out to you? And I have to admit, when I look at this parable, and as I have throughout the week, and as I've been praying, I cannot help but identify with the lost sheep. That's just where my mind automatically went. I couldn't identify with the Pharisees. I couldn't identify with the teachers of the law. I just could not help but identify with the lost sheep, the one who is alone the one who is scared, the one who is afraid, 
the one that for whatever reason is um, scattered, outcast, neglected, alone. You don't know my parents, my mom and my dad, but they live in Texas. And if you were ever to meet them, you'd like them because they're really, really cool. I like them too. My mom and dad are amazing. They, um, we have three little boys right now. And all three of our little boys, well, the ones that can talk, call them Grammy and Grampy. So they'll call Grammy and Grampy on the phone. They'll kind of send Grammy and Grampy emails. They'll draw Grammy and Grampy pictures to send them to in the mail. And, and they love their Grammy and Grampy. And when Scott and I took our family and moved up here, it was very hard on Grammy and Grampy. It's tough being away from your daughter and your son-in-law and your grandkids and knowing that they're all the way across the country in the cold, frigid land of Minnesota. (laughs) Snow flurries today is what I heard in October. That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's 80 in Texas, but that's okay. Okay. So that's hard for them. That's hard for them to be away from, you know, their, their kids and their grandkids. And, and we're all the way up here and they're all the way down there. And, and, you know, my parents do. They come up and visit sometimes when they can. And we go down there and visit. And um, our, thir- our youngest son is named after my father. And um, you may not know to, have noticed or you may not can tell because I hide it so well, but I'm pregnant right now. <laughs> Oh, Lord, I am. I am pregnant right now. And this is our daughter, and she will be named after my father's mother. So we're a very close family, and I miss them dearly. If they were to come to visit and you were to meet them, you would notice that both my parents are very tall. My dad is 6'3", 6'4". My mom is nearly six feet tall herself. Attractive couple. That my dad has these uh, really pretty blue eyes, silver hair now, what's there, and my mom has these beautiful green eyes, and they're both just, you know, outgoing people and kind of fair-skinned, and, you know, before long, as you're sitting there meeting my parents, you would begin to wonder. You probably wouldn't say anything because you all are so nice, but you'd begin to wonder, which one does she look like? They're tall, me not so much. They're fair-skinned, me not so much. Dark hair, dark eyes, no go there. And there wasn't a baby swap in the hospital or anything, you know, major like that. My mom and dad are my mom and dad, and I love them. My, my children know them as Grammy and Grampy, but they weren't the parents that gave birth to me. 34 years ago, shocking, I know I'm 34. 34 years ago, I was born... Uh, to a Caucasian mother and an African-American father. And for whatever reason, my father just was never in the picture. My biological father was never in the picture, never knew him, never met him, um, didn't even really know, I don't know what he looked like. Um, So for a lot of my life, I was raised, like many kids, by a single mother. And that included a lot of stress, I can only imagine raising kids alone. Um, And that life was interesting. That life um, with my mother was was very interesting. She worked when she could, worked a lot. Um, She went out a lot at night. um, And there were always uh, men 
in and out of the house. She just was not judging, but she just apparent, was just a very um, insecure woman and just really needed that uh, closeness of a man. And so growing up, I just saw the revolving door, basically, of men in and out of our home. Um, we moved around a lot. We were poor. We didn't have a ton of money. Um, learned very early how to, um, what it meant to work the system. I learned very early how to steal food from the grocery store. Um, nothing I'm proud of, but this is things that I was taught as a child. I was always a latchkey kid. We never stayed in one place too long. Never finished the school year in the same school. Never started the school year in the same school. So it was just kind of like a nomadic thing, um, all in the South. And just at, from a very early age, I remember, I remember realizing this is, this is strange, this life that we live. This is, um, doesn't seem normal. Doesn't seem normal, um, first of all, to just have a mother who's either at work or out at the bar. Doesn't seem normal to have man after man after man coming into our apartment. Doesn't seem normal for me to have to lock my bedroom door at night so no one would come in to bother me. That doesn't seem normal to me. Doesn't seem normal that I have to carry an extra big bag into the grocery store to steal the food and we buy one thing and steal the rest. <laughs> Doesn't seem normal to me. Didn't quite understand all that. Also, at a very young age, I learned um, about rejection. And I learned about um, being ashamed of myself because I was biracial. And because we lived in the South and because there were some people who still had an issue with that, apparently. I didn't understand, though, why my own family would have an issue with that. I didn't understand why, at a young age, when I went with my birth mother, and I had an aunt and some cousins, and we all went, and apparently my grandmother owned a restaurant, um, I didn't understand why I couldn't go inside. Why my cousins could go in, and my mother could go in, and my aunt could go in, but I couldn't go inside. I didn't understand that I wasn't accepted in the family because I was biracial. And then I didn't understand why, whenever different men would come around and they'd stick around for a few days, my nationality would seem to change to suit them. You know, my mom would say, okay, now, um, if it comes up, you're Puerto Rican. If it comes up, you're Hispanic. If it comes, I, I, I didn't understand why do I have to lie about who I am. That was the reality. So at the age of nine... I remember uh, my mom bringing a man home, and this time he stuck around for a little bit. And um, he seemed really nice, and they decided to get married, and I thought, this could be cool. Finally, I'll have a mom and a dad, so surely, once that happens, everything will settle down. Surely, once there's two parents in the house, you know, things will be normal. We'll be able to stay We'll be able to buy our food. We'll be able to buy our clothes instead of, you know, stealing them. Maybe my mom won't be as angry. Maybe she won't be as busy. Maybe she won't be as stressed out. Maybe there, there won't be as much violence because, you know, she's a stressed out single mom raising a kid and working and going out and, you know, just is crazy. And I thought that would be the answer. Now, all this time, I knew no... I had no clue, knew nothing about a God, knew nothing about a Savior, knew nothing about one who cared for me and wanted a different life for me. That just wasn't my reality. I knew nothing about it. wasn't raised 
to know those things or be um, involved in those things. And so when my mother remarried, I thought it was going to be the the solving of all the problems, but in fact it wasn't. And unfortunately, um, he was physically abusive to her, to me. Um, He was just an angry, bitter man. And so that was the next phase of life, dealing with, with this situation of being afraid, being scared, being alone, kind of why I related to the lost sheep. Afraid, scared, alone, not knowing what's, what's going to happen next, not knowing where we're going to be living, not knowing if I came home from school, what I was going to be walking into, and again, finding myself having to lock my bedroom door at night so as I wouldn't be bothered by this man who's supposed to be married to my mother and um, caring for her and getting his needs met from her. They had another baby, and... Um, and many times I'd have to stay home from school, take care of the baby. So I missed a lot of school. Um, but I always have to try to explain it away and, and act like everything was fine. But just really was in a situation that um, was unhealthy, that was dysfunctional, and basically that uh, I wanted out of. Um, before too long, my mother got kind of fed up with getting knocked around. So she took me and she took my little sister and we packed up and we um, ran away. We ran away to another part of Texas to try to get far away from my stepfather and where he couldn't find us and we had nothing. Um, and so when we did that, there was this uh, the apartment complex that we moved into. Um, down the street, there was this little Baptist church there. And um, I don't know how I found this out or why or whatever, but I called this church um, because somehow I had heard that they would help with food. Like they had a food pantry like we have here at Woodland. So I called this church and I just said, hey, can my family have some food? And, and they were, of course, very generous. And they said, sure. And they, uh, this couple came out and they brought food for me and my mom and my sister. And they saw how old I was, you know, around 10 years old, and they, and they um, asked me if I wouldn't mind coming to church sometime. And on Wednesday nights, they have a program for girls my age, and it's called GAs, and I can make some friends and meet some people and learn some cool stuff. And that sounded great to me, something normal, <laughs> something, you know, that I could do outside of staying home and babysitting or, you know, being uh, home with a frustrated mom. Sure, so I started going, and it was really cool. Um, I'm very thankful to that church because that was the first time I really got a picture or even an idea that there was a God out there who had wanted more from my life than what I was living, even at the tender age of 10. So I started going faithfully to this church, and it was really amazing, and I really enjoyed it. And um, on Wednesday nights, they had the program that I went to for the girls, and there was a teacher there, and she was just really sweet. And she would take an interest in me, and she would ask me how I was doing, and she would ask me about school and ask me about my friends, and she would give me rides to and from church. And that was the first time I'd kind of experienced that, you know? It was kind of, I didn't know any different. I, You know, a single mother has to work, and then she had to go out because she had to find, you know, the next guy that was going to come and help take care of things. But So I really wasn't used to having someone so interested in my life, and that really felt good, and I really, really enjoyed that. Before long, my my mother decided to take the stepfather back. She um, 
just could not live alone, I think. I think she just had to be with someone, and so she'd rather face abuse, and she'd rather face the violence than be on her own. And that's just, it's just a sad reality, and that's the way it was. So he came back, and things hadn't changed, and in fact, they had gotten worse. But I had a different kind of strength, even as a young child, because I was beginning to learn about God, and I was beginning to learn about truth, and I was beginning to learn about love. And so as I would defend myself physically, as I would defend myself in the middle of the night, I knew that this wasn't normal, and I knew that it would change. One Sunday, something that the preacher was saying at church just really touched my heart, and I didn't fully understand it. Didn't have all the answers for it, but I knew that I felt a tugging in my heart. And so I went forward and I said, whatever it is, I wanted, I want to be a part of it. And so um, I don't know that things were necessarily handled properly, but I signed the appropriate card and did all that and signed up to get baptized in, in Texas or, well, yeah, in Texas for sure. But definitely in this church, we have our very own baptism in the church. We didn't do the lake baptism thing, which I think is really cool. I really enjoy that. But uh, so um, I was gonna, going to get baptized, and my um, my teacher from Wednesday night um, was in the room with me, helping me get ready. Because you, know, you got to put on the stuff and put on the robe and everything before you go out, and everyone sees you get dunked and everything. And she was in there helping me get ready and stuff. And later on, she told me that um, as she's helping me get ready. She heard the Lord speak to her very vividly, very clearly. This is your daughter. This will be your daughter one day. And she didn't understand that. She wasn't married, didn't even really have a desire to have children of her own. Loved kids and loved what she was doing at the church, but didn't really feel that that was her lot in life. So she didn't tell me that at that point. She just logged that away, began to pray about that, let that sit and simmer for a little bit. And time went on and various things happened, various things occurred. And she just, I remember her saying to me, if you ever need me, you, you call me. If you ever need me find, and you can't find me, find someone who knows where I am. I will be available to you. That was very different for me to have someone available to me whenever I needed but the time came when I needed it. The time came, and I remember it very clearly that I had just had enough of the crud going on at home. I'd had enough. And so I snuck out my bedroom window, and I said, I'm not going back. I'm not doing it. And, I, and uh, she found out uh, what had happened. She had found out that I needed her. And um, at this point in time, now time had passed since that moment in the baptism room, and and when she found out that I was out there needing someone, time had passed. And in this time, she had gotten married. And this man that she had married, they were gonna, he was going to be going into the ministry. And so she did recall what the Lord had said to her. But at the same time, she's married now. And what does that mean? And that was something that God said to her. It's not necessarily something that God said to them. And so she just had to continue to pray about it. And so for a while there... She rescued me uh, from that situation and found a home for me. And it was a children's home that I went to for about eight months. And during that eight months, um, her and her husband would come and visit on the weekends. They would uh, bring me home to visit them you know, during school breaks and stuff. And, and during that time, there was a relationship developing between me and her, of course, and me and her new husband. 
And this was different for me because this was a, a man who was married to this woman who I trusted and cared for, but I didn't know him very well. And my track record hadn't been so great, and the trust level really wasn't there because of my experience. So um, but during this time, they really um, nurtured me, and they really um, helped me to, uh, to become whole and, and to learn to trust and to uh, be a happy little girl. And um, on my 13th birthday, that couple, and their name is James and Suzanne, they came and got me, and they took me home. And they became my mom and my dad. And from that point on, from the age of 13 on, that's where I live. That's my mom and dad. And when they come to visit, that's who you will meet. That's who James and Suzanne are. That's who my mom and dad are. And that's my Grammy. That's my kids, Grammy and Grampy. And God used them. God used visible, tangible people, people with hands and feet to go out and save one little girl who was lost, who was alone, and who was scared, just like the lost sheep in the story. And that's why I identify so greatly with the sheep. Because I was that sheep, and God used people who were obedient to him to come after me. And just like he does today, no matter where you are, whether it's by your choice and your choices and things that you've done or your life and the hand that you've been dealt, if you're out there and you're alone and you're scared, he is searching for you and he will not relent until he finds you and brings you back to safety. That is the great shepherd. Our God is good. And whenever he restores you, let me tell you, he brings healing. He brings completeness. He brings wholeness. There's no bitterness. I have no, you know, ill will toward the things from my past. Because it's, all, it's gone, like the song said. It's all gone. And God has healed all that. We are all his sheep. And he is our great shepherd. And if you would with me, please, if you could stand up. I want us, in closing, to read Psalm 23 together. We are not alone. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to be outcast because there is one who is searching for us. There is one who will not relent until he finds us. There is one who is longing to bring us back to safety, and he is our shepherd, and we are his sheep. Let's read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I want to thank you for being here, but if if there's anyone out here who feels like they need the touch of the great shepherd, if you feel a little lost, if you feel a little outcast, if you feel a little scared, the prayer team will be up here and they will pray with you. And I want to thank you again for being here today. Go out, have a blessed day, and know that you are so loved and treasured by God. Thank you.